You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome into a brand new edition. Jen Mueller and John Boyle with you. And John, I think it is safe to say the Seahawks did not follow the plan that you and I drew up last week. So we're just going to have to come up with a better game plan, I think. I I don't think they really listened to us, Jen. I don't? I hate to tell you. Well, but we can try. I mean, it doesn't mean that we just give up on this. It means that we keep trying. We keep trying. We, We keep trying which I think is exactly what the Seahawks are going to do this week. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time rehashing last week because, well, it was disappointing. And it's just the 10th time in Russell Wilson's career that he has lost back-to-back games. But here's the good news, John. He has never lost three consecutive games as a professional. Of course, you're going to have to execute on the field. And I do think that the blessing in disguise from last week, because you know that I'm an optimist and I'm a silver lining person, is the theme of focus and execution has been top of mind around the facility this week. And it that reminder is not going away. Yeah, I mean, we, we heard that from Pete Carroll talking about just kind of the, the serious vibe around the building of just guys are, they're really dialed in, they're, you know, they're not going to all of a sudden rip up everything they do and change how they do it. You know, that's a big thing for Pete Carroll is treat every week the same. Every week's a championship week. But guys do seem to be really focused in on getting this right. Is it too early in the season to say that this is a must-win game? I don't like using that phrase with any game this early in the year, but I don't think we can avoid putting that that importance on this one. Uh, yeah, you're right. I hate saying that in September and uh, it's, you know, it's a long season. There's still, you know, what do they got? 14 left with the 17 game season. So there is always a chance to recover. But if you're serious about trying to win the NFC West, you just can't keep digging the hole. I mean, there's two, three and no teams already. They, they are playing each other this weekend. So teams will start beating up on each other. But yeah, it's you can't fall this far behind this good division. So they, they do need to start winning games soon and they've got Two really tough ones coming up in the division back-to-back. And they've got the San Francisco 49ers this week. Then they turn around and play the L.A. Rams on a short week, which does add a little bit more importance to the game against San Francisco. San Francisco was that Sunday night game against the Green Bay Packers. San Fran took a lead with 37 seconds to go, but then that secondary gave up 42 yards. And I should not put it just on the secondary, John. Gave up 42 yards. Aaron Rodgers finding holes in the middle of the field. That led to the game-winning field goal with uh, no time on the clock, 51 yards out. It pained me to cheer for the Packers. It's tough. <laughs> it is really tough, isn't it? <laughs> you're watching that game like, well, this is good for the Seahawks if they win it. But, yeah, you're right. It's a weird feeling. Kind of like rooting for the Yankees if you're a Mariners fan. That That's exactly right. Yeah, there are just some things that you're going to have to come to grips with. You don't like them, but the outcome is good for your team. But I do think that last week's game against Green Bay is something that the Seahawks need to look at. Certainly not just from scheme and execution, but this is a trend with San Francisco. And it's the, it's the opposite. It's 
converse. It's inverse. I'm just going to go opposite, John, of what the Seahawks are doing. San Francisco has been great scoring in the second half of games. The Seahawks are the best in the NFL at scoring in the first half of games, but they have not been able to sustain that in the second half. What do you see in just that part of the overall matchup? I mean, that it's a weird trend for both teams. It's, you know, we we're used to over the years, some of these Seahawks teams start slow and then finish strong. And they've had the opposite problem this year. Um, you know, I, I do from a Seahawks standpoint, I think that's very fixable. They just, you know, need to sustain a couple drives in the third quarter and all of a sudden it'll look a lot better. Uh, but that does tell you with these 49ers coming in, you cannot get complacent if you build a lead. I mean, I, I don't think the Seahawks would anyway, just because they've been up big in the last two games and lost. So, but you got to expect if you get ahead, if you're the Seahawks, that the 49ers will have some big fight in them in the second half. Yeah, and, you know, it's easy to say that those problems in the third quarter, well, I guess if you're in either camp, right, they're too big to fix, or if you're Pete Carroll, of course the issues are fixable, but here's what he sees those issues being. It's it's worked on both sides of the ball. We we haven't been you know been all, getting off the field on, on defense in those you know in the third quarter either, and so that's why the, the limited opportunities and it's why it it compounds the issue. You know when you when you go off and, and you don't get back, you know it's uh, you know it just amplifies the issue. So, but I'm, I'm not concerned about uh, in in any regard that we just got to get back out. We got to get get the job done because we we obviously can you know, and so we just got to make it happen. Pete saying it compounds the issue is kind of the perfect ex- excuse me explanation to me because look if we're talking about the, I think it was the first two drives of the last game the Seahawks got two first downs if we're talking about the defense playing a little better and they get some stops then you can have those two drives and you maybe get two or three more possessions in the second half maybe you score ten points and you're feeling a lot better about things conversely if the offense can stay on the field keep one of those drives going a little bit in the third quarter you take a lot of that time of possession away that the, that the Vikings used to really help put the game away. So it, you know, neither side needs to just make some drastic improvements, but if both sides could just get a little better in the second half, I could see it looking a lot better overall. Cause that, it's that whole complimentary football thing. Pete Carroll has talked about the, you know, both sides of the ball can help each other. Yeah. And it's led to some out of whack stats for the Seahawks. They are last in the league in time of possession, just 23 minutes. And when you run just 15 offensive plays in the second half of a game, that is where you lead to such a disparity. Seattle has yet to score a score at all. I was going to say a touchdown has yet to score at all in the third quarter of a game. And John, to me, that's interesting because of how well they have done in years past in making adjustments. They are usually the ones to come out of the locker room at halftime and get on the board. Although I will say this, they didn't have the chance to do that because Minnesota won the toss. They deferred. They got the ball first in the third quarter, which leads me to think that coin toss and winning the coin toss has more effect on the game than perhaps I'd like to give it credit for. Well, I mean, it does if you're not getting off the field on defense. It it shouldn't if you're if you're out playing good defense and you get a quick stop, then that possession doesn't really matter as much. So, again, look, both sides of all need to get better. I I'm I'm not too worried about the offense. I think it's more just kind of a fluky thing than anything else that they've been so much better in the first half and the second. I think it's going to start balancing out here. And again, just one of those third quarter drives, get some first downs, change field possession if you don't score, and that's going to make life easier on the defense. 
This week, though, that offense, for as much as we know that establishing the run helps to balance everything out, that is a tough ask this week against a 49ers defense that has not allowed a 100-yard rusher in 23 games. That is the longest streak in the NFL. What do you make of the carries that have been given, not just to Chris Carson, but, you know, I thought Alex Collins had a good run last week, and then the ball didn't go to him again. What do you make of the way that run game plays into it and what they should be doing this week in San Fran? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of concern about, you know, Chris Carson not, Carson not getting the ball enough and things like that. And I, to me, again, this goes back to the conversation of these second halves where time possession are so out of whack and, and you know, you only get a few possessions and there's just not enough time chances to get him the ball, especially when you get behind in some of these games. So, um, you know, I think they're going to continue to be balanced and use those guys. But in terms of this week's matchup, yeah, that's that's a tough ask. I, you know, that front of the front seven of the 49ers is just loaded. And, you know, you need to, as Pete Carroll says, they're, you know, they always want to be committed to it and be able to call in the running game when they need it. But this might be a week where it's going to be tough sledding. Although I do remember, wasn't there a really long streak of no 100-yard rushers they had many years ago? And Marshawn Lynch broke it. So maybe Chris Carson can end a streak, too. Oh, I like that. I like that coming into play. And you mentioned that front seven of the 49ers. The Seahawks are going to have to deal with Nick Bosa. That was not an issue last year. He was hurt and he is back and and that becomes a problem. And Fred Warner is a solid linebacker who takes after Bobby Wagner. And that's not going to be an easy uh, an easy task either getting around those guys. And I'm going to throw Eric Armstead in there just because when you look at his stats, he doesn't scare you. But when you look at the pressures, you know, the, the advanced metrics, PFF has him graded higher than Nick Bosa right now. He's he's playing phenomenal. He's just more the guy who's beating guys and occupying blocks and getting pressure, but hasn't the, the sacks haven't come yet. But, yeah, that's that whole defense is pretty loaded, especially that front seven. Yeah. And here's a fun thing. Those guys are being coached by a former Seahawk, Daryl Tapp. Did you see that? He's the assistant D-line coach. I love Daryl Tapp. Daryl Tapp once tried to bite me. What? I'm sorry, what? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I thought I'd throw that in there. It was joking. So do you remember Aaron Rodgers accused him of biting him in a pile? I don't know if you remember yeah, that story. Yeah, I mean, yes. So, so Daryl Tapp was trying to make his point in the locker room the following week. Like, how could I have even bitten him? He put his helmet on and he said, asked for a volunteer. So I held my arm out. And he demonstrated that I can't bite you through a face mask. Get get your arm in my mouth. So, yeah. (laughs) Fun story. Very random. I can only imagine what kind of reaction that gets when you tell that story at a bar. I, I don't think I have. I'd forgotten all about it. <laughs> I am so glad that we could bring that back. Are, to are we leaving this in the podcast? I, I, Absolutely. I it's staying in. Are you kidding me? I'm, We're not cutting that. All right. Sure. Okay. So let's take a look at the other side of this matchup and the 49ers offense against the Seahawks defense. Look, John, there's, there's a lot of consternation around the Seahawks defense this week. We saw the guys jawing at each other on the field. Coaches have been asked about it. Players have been asked about it. How would you characterize what we saw on Sunday and what's actually happening right now? I mean, it's what we saw Sunday was, I think, a mixture of a lot of things. Some of it was scheme, not not guys being confused scheme, but they were really concerned about, you know, we saw two weeks ago, Julio Jones getting deep. We saw A.J. Brown getting deep, although he dropped the one that really could have burned the Seahawks. But 
I think there's a kind of an overcorrection, if you will, of we got to keep guys in front of us. I mean, we always know with Pete Carroll, it's don't get beat deep. Don't, don't let them beat you over the top. And for the most part, the CX didn't do that. But with that came some guys just wide open underneath for some big gains. So they're going to have to correct that. So they're not, you know, you don't want to get beat deep, but you also can't give up all these easy third downs. And look, guys are frustrated. That's going to happen when you're getting beat. I, I think we're going to see a good response. There's good leadership in that room. And I, you know, I, I really think there's just too much talent for the defense to keep playing like that. Well, and it's tricky, though, against the way the 49ers run this offense, and you wouldn't think it, but it's the fullback, Kyle Juszczyk, that's in the middle that really throws a wrench in this one. Pete Carroll knows that he is a unique player and presents some unique challenges. Yeah, well, he's he's absolutely rare. There is, there's no other, nobody else like him. You know, they, they line up in, with, with two backs in the game and, and a tight end and two receivers, and they can play every – personnel that you can you can put up they, the looks and, and the concepts and the principles of the, like three wides and a tight end and two tight ends and two backs and all that two tight ends and one back two receivers they, they do all of it and it's just for them it's just rolls off their their style of play you know and, and it, it's a big issue it's different when when you see the guys run on the field and they've got a different personnel group on the field and then you know that that personnel group represents a certain style of play and, and formations and things like that and you you defend it accordingly. When you don't know, you have to wait and see. And so it's a it's a really a very very uh, important part of their offense, and and, uh, and he's really good. Yeah, I mean it's he's really kind of one of one in the NFL. Most teams either don't have a fullback, or they use him on you know the occasional short yardage thing, or they move him to linebacker if you're the Seahawks. But it, you know it's you have this guy who they move him around that, you know, in the, in the late in the game, they're, you know, having him run slant routes and hitting him over the middle of the field. He just, he's such a unique player. And as Pete Carroll's just outlining there, you just, when you have that kind of chess piece, it's hard to defend because there's no obvious tell of he's on the field. They're doing this, they're doing that. So, you know, between him, George Kittle, some of these weapons they have, obviously Debo Samuel, it's, it's a really tough offense. And like any good Shannon offense, they can beat you in a lot of ways. Well, and it goes back, though, to the recognition and the focus needed to be able to identify what's going on on the field. That's not going to be easy. Just like last week, it wasn't easy to sniff out those screen passes early. It's not going to be easy early in this one, and you can't let the 49ers get any momentum. You mentioned Debo Samuel. He is second in the NFL in total yards for a wide receiver, and there is no question that he is a star player. He's really become a special part of their team. I, mean, I, I really see him as the star player for them. You know, he, they, they utilize him in a fashion where they're, they're always looking to get him the football. They're positioning him to, to, to make the plays. They're counting on him to do the things he does well. They've, they've really used him well, you know, in, in the sense that you can see what he has that's unique. He's really physical. He's fast enough to run away from guys. Uh, he's got a great competitive streak about him. Um, you know, so between he, he and Kittle, you know, those two guys and, and, and just getting the ball, I mean, that's that's a lot of firepower for them in maybe a little less traditional way than we would think. But th- those guys are all they're all explosive and they make big, big things happen. Yeah, you know, Diva Samuel missed a lot of last year with some injuries, and I think there's some illness in there, too. But he you could see something missing from their offense. And he was so exciting as a rookie, you know, he wasn't quite a fully formed player yet, but did a lot of big things with the ball in his hand. Like Pete Carroll said, he's a great run after catch guy. They can use him on the jet sweep stuff, all that. And then they missed him a lot last year. Now that he's back and healthy, we're kind of starting to see the the full version of what he can be in that offense. And he's a scary player again. You know, he's just a, he looks kind of like a running back with the ball in his hands. I and mean, he's a big, strong, you know, breaks tackles kind of guy. So 
you know, the, the secondary that has, you know, struggled a little bit with some top receivers the last two weeks, we, we saw, you know, arguably two of the better receiving duos in the NFL in back-to-back weeks. And now, you know, Kittle's not a receiver, but a great pass catching duel that Pete Carroll just mentioned in those two. This is going to be a, a chance for the defense to really show if it has made some progress from last week to this week, because they're going to be tested. How much do the Seahawks need to consider personnel changes versus just executing what they're supposed to be executing. And I'm not trying to stir it up. It's just part of the conversation no, that's been happening over the course of the week. And look, if, if, if that weren't an option of consideration, Pete Carroll could have put that to bed by now. I mean, he's, I think intentionally left the door pretty wide open when every time he's asked about cornerback in particular and about Sidney Jones, about bless Austin. I mean, he talks about those guys being closer to ready and the competition being on and all that. You know, I, I don't necessarily think we're going to see changes to the starting lineup. We'll see, but what's more interesting to me is are you willing to rotate guys in a position where you don't usually rotate them? I mean, uh, Pete Carroll has said that, that that's a tough position to do that. And they don't usually do it. But ultimately, if you're going to have a competition play out, you need some game reps for those guys. And we've seen them do it. at some offensive line spots. They were doing it with Postick and Fuller before Postick got hurt in week one. We've seen him do it at the nickel spot before uh, Marquis Blair was hurt. So maybe that's the solution. You, you give those guys a couple series and see how it plays out. But yeah, it's Pete Carroll's clearly, clearly not shut the door on any changes. Well, and Marquise Blair did return to practice this week. And I do think that changes things. I also think not to make excuses. I, I think that there were a lot of guys that had bad days on the same day. Right. Yeah. I, I, no, that's and, fair. and part of that is a trickle down or a waterfall or whatever you want to call it. But they, there were a lot of guys that were just a little bit off and that compounded some problems. For sure. Debo Samuel with 334 yards. That is second, as I mentioned, in the NFL. Worth noting that Tyler Lockett is tied for fourth in the NFL with 309. And, John, for all that you talked about, the firepower that he is, there is this stat coming out of San Francisco. 11 different players have scored the first 11 touchdowns of the season. That is the first time that has happened since the merger. I can't imagine it happened before the merger either. We just don't necessarily have stats for that. What do you make of how that ball is being spread around? Yeah. I mean, first of all, that's just kind of a weird fluky thing. I saw that on the, you know, we get, we get these weekly stat packs for people who are, are at home listening and they'll tell you, they'll tell you all the other teams leaders of, you know, rushing, receiving, whatever. And one of them scoring. And normally you maybe have one guy with three or four touchdowns this time of year. And it says 11 guys have each scored six points. So the one touchdown. So that really <laughs> kind of made me confused when I saw that, but sure enough, it's uh, I, you know, I think also it speaks to just both the versatility, the style of offense that they have under Shannon and just the depth of different weapons they have. I mean, it, again, that's probably a little fluky and it won't continue that way that evenly. But when you have, we've talked about all these different guys at receiver, at tight end, fullback, different running backs they've used. There's, there's just a lot of different weapons they can go to. Well, and the guy that's running the offense, at least for now, is Jimmy Garoppolo. He is completing about 67% of his passes. He looks different this year. We'll dive into what is different about him. But first, he is facing some pressure, feeling some pressure, perhaps, from Trey Lance, the quarterback that they drafted out of North Dakota State. But Pete Carroll says he has handled it like a champ. Well, I think he's like a real competitor. You know, he hasn't backed off uh, at all. And, he, and I thought he, he dealt with it really well and handled it. You know, any times you guys would ask him, you know, his comments, his feelings about it, he handled it really well. And, and uh, 
and welcomed, you know, welcomed the asset to the team. And, and they're using him, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, but way back when, when Joe Montana first started playing, it happens to be the Niners, you know, that's uh, Coach Walsh used Joe, you know, like on third downs and red zone type of situations when he first was breaking him in. And uh, so there's a little, a little something there. But uh, I think Jimmy's handled it really well. He's playing good football and, and put him in position to win three games right out of the shoots. I unfortunately do not remember Joe Montana's rookie year, but that, that's a little before my time. But yeah, I mean, to Pete Carroll's point, that's uh, I think different quarterbacks and different athletes can go different ways in that situation. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is a smart guy. He knows when they use a number three pick on a quarterback, that's the future for them. You just, you don't go trade for that pick and pick a quarterback. if That guy's not your future. So you kind of know you're playing on borrowed time. You're being asked to help mentor your replacement. That's tough. And some guys can go the wrong way on that. And he's, you know, from all accounts, both on what you read and hear out of the Bay area and also how he's playing, he's handling that very well. It's going to be interesting to me to see also how they continue to lose, use Lance. They've, they've kind of worked in some little packages for him and he's playing a series here, or there coming in in the red zone, things like that. So I'm sure they got some wrinkles to throw at the Seahawks. Maybe at some point he starts playing more. We'll see how this plays out, but it, it is going to be kind of fun to see how they use that young, very talented quarterback in addition to Garoppolo. Well, and for this week, it sounds like the ratio between those two will stay about the same. There is some debate going on in the Bay Area, but Shanahan has already come out and say, said that they are not necessarily looking for more snaps for Trey Lance at this point in the season. Now, we know that Jimmy Garoppolo has been around the league for a few years, but when we talked to Bobby Wagner earlier this week, he said what's different is he is getting the ball out quicker. And, John, I looked up these next-gen stats. Have you had a chance to look at them? Because Bobby thought he was among the best in the league. So here's what I found. According to NFL's next-gen stats, Garoppolo was getting the ball out in 2.54 seconds. That is the sixth fastest time to throw in the league. The Seahawks should be pretty... It should be pretty easy for them to adapt and to deal with that because Kirk Cousins was right behind him at 2.58 by comparison. Russ is at 2.7. So that 2.7 doesn't sound like a lot, but it does speed things up for certainly the pass rush who's trying to get there. Um, And with all of the things that we've talked about on offense and the versatility, part of that works because he is getting the ball out so quickly. I appreciate you doing your homework and looking it up, but I, I'm just going to trust a Hall of Fame linebacker that he knows what he's talking about. If if he tells me that Jimmy Garoppolo is getting the ball out fast, I'm going to believe Bobby Wagner. It's not that I didn't believe him. <laughs> I wanted the numbers to go with it. All right, fair enough. No, and it's your mentioning Cousins is a great point because – that was a big issue that Pete Carroll and some of the players talked about last week is they, they weren't getting to the quarterback. They weren't affecting them. And that's Kirk cousins is yet to turn the ball over this year. And that's, you know, big part of their offensive success. And that's one thing the Seahawks have kind of been missing this year. They don't have any interceptions. They only have the two force fumble or fumble recovery turnovers. So it's going to be tough. As you said, he's getting the ball out quickly, but you got to find ways, even if you're not sacking them a bunch, just to get there and get the ball out quick and hope you can force them into mistakes. I've got two more quick topics for you before we wrap this up. We have not talked about DK Metcalf yet. While he didn't get a whole lot of touches in the second half, nobody in the offense did. He was very involved in the opening drive in Minnesota. 54 of the 74 yards of that opening drive were DK's yards. He said that it was really a point of emphasis to focus and to be where his feet are. What do you think that opening drive did for him? 
I mean, it's, it's got to, not that he ever lacked confidence, but it's got to be great for him to just go out and say, look, I'm, you know, I'm a dominant player. They get me the ball and good things happen. It's, you know, it's natural for any competitor if things aren't going your way for the first couple of games to not necessarily get all down in the dumps, but just get a little frustrated. And he said, you know, we, we heard from both him and Pete Carroll, he kind of worked on turning his mentality a little bit in the middle of that Tennessee game. And yeah, to, to get off to that start, it's, it's great to see. And it's, it's just a good reminder of what this passing game can be where you get two weeks of Tyler Lockett going off, putting up big numbers and okay, he has a more quiet game and here comes DK Metcalf. And that's to me, ultimately what can make this offense so good is the, the pick your poison element of it's, it might be one thing to take one receiver out of a game, but when you got two that good, it's really tough. And now hopefully we see D Eskridge coming back for yet another fun, exciting elements, this offense. Cause you know, we only saw a couple touches out of him in the opener, but, he looked pretty explosive when we did see him. He looked pretty fast. And to go back to the start of this conversation, the corners in San Fran have been struggling just a little bit. You would think that there are some opportunities downfield to uh, to get some speed out there and some options for the Seahawks. Last quick question before we get to the two things that you need to see from the Seahawks to get a win this week. After covering Pete Carroll and this team for so long, what do you know to be true when faced with the adversity that they've seen in the last two weeks? I, I think I I know they'll respond well. I, I'm not going to go out and guarantee a victory or anything like that, but I, I just, I've seen too much of both Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson in particular. We always hear from John Schneider say, you know, that's the two most important people in the building on an NFL team, the quarterback and the head coach. So while everybody on the team needs to respond, those are two of the guys that can make it happen the most. And they are both just built, built well to handle this. So I, I do think we're going to see this team go on the road and, you know, they won't, you don't fix every single mistake in one week. And I don't think we're going to see that defense pitch a shutout and all that, but I, I think we'll see some improvements and hopefully it's enough to turn the tides and get a win. Okay. Well, let's piggyback on that and keep going. What are the two things you need to see from the Seahawks? If they are going to come away with a win this week, you ready? You want to well, go first? We, go ahead. I, I'd be happy to. We just talked about the the difficulty of getting to Garoppolo and him getting the ball out, but I still want to see that. I, I, again, they don't need to sack him a bunch, but maybe let's get to two or three sacks and let's hit him eight or nine times, even if you're not sacking him a ton. So make it look more like that Colts game and less like the last two games where the pressure has been a little inconsistent. You know, love what we saw to Daryl Taylor getting that strip sack. Get, you know, if they get him some more of that, that'd be great. So for me, that's on defense. And then, you know, we talked about the secondary issues that would help there a lot as well. If you're, if you're getting the pressure that can mask a lot of issues in the back end offensively score some third quarter points. I mean, it doesn't need to be, you know, a bunch of touchdowns, but just balance out the first and second halves to where you're keeping that offense on the field, both for the points that that gets you obviously that you need, but also to take some burden off the defense. I am going to add to that. I would like to see the ground game really take over this week. I want to see over 100 yards rushing. Doesn't have to come from one player. I would like to see over 100 yards because if you can get time of possession in your favor, that takes some pressure off the defense as well. I would also like to see at least one takeaway, ideally an interception, but I don't, I'm not going to be picky about how they get that ball. I know that turnovers come in bunches, and I'd like to see at least one happen this week against San Fran. I like it. Perfect. We need those turnovers. Well, Got to get the ball away. Now that it has your seal of approval, I think that we can wrap up I mean, that's, today. You needed that, right? <laughs> I do. I always need your approval, John. It is what makes this work between us, I think. No. It is another. It's really a- not. 
I beg to differ. That is... We just, the... we just need to end this. It is the seal of approval that I need to end the show. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. We will be back with you next week to see how we did and to talk about the next Seahawks matchup.